Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The landmark abortion ruling may be on the cusp of being overturned. A leaked draft for a Supreme Court ruling shows how the justices are expected to rule on an abortion case. Protesters rallied in D.C. to express their thoughts on the issue. Chinese state-run media unhappy about a prop in the latest Marvel superhero movie. We look at why. Secretary of State Antony Blinken recognizes World Press Freedom Day in D.C. He emphasizes the importance of independent media for democracy. Could the Disinformation Governance Board, along with vaccine passports and a cashless society, one day place you in digital prison? A women's rights activist explains how America's new disinformation board could operate in the future. A leaked document reveals that the nation's highest court is expected to overturn its landmark abortion case ruling Roe v. Wade. The Supreme Court today confirmed that draft is authentic. The draft decision caused protesters to immediately gather in D.C., a testament to the weight of the Supreme Court's expected ruling. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with the details. This leaked document indicating that the justices could overturn Roe versus Wade caused uproar here in Washington, D.C. We've seen protesters from both the pro-life side and the pro-choice side. They've been out here, some of them, since last evening. We spoke to them to find out how they're reacting to this potential change to the U.S. abortion law. Here's what they told us. This is a great day for unborn children everywhere, but we have to acknowledge that that the final victory hasn't been won yet. We, and it won't be won until we're no longer voting on whether people have the right to live or not. Uh, as soon as we heard the news last night, we were like, we're gonna be at the court tomorrow uh, because we are indeed the post-row generation and this is, this is history in the making. While pro-life activists are cheerful, supporters of Roe versus Wade are not looking forward to this final ruling. You, you, can, you can expect it, but it's, it's shocking. It's just shocking. My mom, the first thing she said was, I didn't think this would happen in my lifetime. And a few Democrat senators appeared today to speak to the pro-abortion group. And we will take this fight to the U.S. Congress and the U.S. Senate. It was really hard to hear, and I'm hoping that before the actual document comes out, there are some changes, but I'm hopeful, but doubt it'll happen. The draft document of the court's ruling, written by Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, reads... Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. Some protesters point out that abortion is not a black and white issue. So when people say, do you agree with uh, uh, abortion, you know, that's a very different question then do you agree with abortion on all nine months? So when people say that they agree with abortion, they do not mean that they believe up to the day of birth that abortion should be legal. If the majority of justices on the conservative-leaning court stick to the opinion in the draft, it could lead to stricter limits on abortion access in conservative states. But any state could still legally allow abortions if they so choose. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Amazon intends to reimburse its U.S. workers who travel to get an abortion. The decision makes the online retailer the latest company to help employees bypass state laws that limit abortions. 
NTD's Arlene Richards reports. National companies have found a unique way to help their U.S. employees get around strict abortion laws. Yesterday, Amazon joined a growing list of companies that are helping employees get abortions. The company will reimburse up to $4,000 annually for non-life-threatening medical treatments, including abortions. In a 2019 letter, several companies called abortion bans bad for business. The more than 50 signers stated that the bans impair their ability to build diverse and inclusive workforce pipelines and recruit top talent across the states. Lila Rose, president and founder of Live Action, a pro-life advocacy group, responded to Amazon's policy in a Twitter post. She equated Amazon's abortion assistance to, quote, paying 4K for you to kill your child. She suggested the company is avoiding maternity leave. She tweeted, work should support families, not destroy them. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. The latest Marvel superhero movie, Doctor Strange 2, is premiering in the United States this weekend. But those wanting to watch it in China could be out of luck. The movie is unlikely to get a release there. NTD's Don Ma has the story. A Chinese Communist Party-owned media is outraged about the new Doctor Strange movie. It's not helping the odds of the movie getting a China release. What is it mad about? It's this scene here. This is the newspaper box of the Chinese-language edition of the Epoch Times. The Epoch Times is also NTD's sister media. It's known for its coverage of current affairs in China, including the Chinese Communist Party's human rights violations, Beijing's propaganda and influence operations abroad. But did Marvel Studios put the newspaper box in the movie on purpose? Movie producer Chris Fenton says it's unlikely that this was purely accidental. Shows that they know every frame of that movie, what's in there, and the continuity experts, the script supervisors, and everybody in post knows exactly what props are used. So the idea that the 200 to 300 people on set that day and the 200 to 300 people in post-production over the course of post-production did not notice the Epic Times vending stand in there, it seems very far-fetched. When Chinese state-owned media The Global Times saw the Epoch Times box, it was less than happy about it. It published an article over the weekend smearing the Epoch Times and calling the inclusion of the newspaper in the movie shameful. The Global Times article was published on May 1st, and on May 2nd, the Epoch Times found 44 of its Chinese-language boxes vandalized with graffiti in New York. The deputy editor-in-chief of the Chinese-language Epoch Times says the Chinese Communist Party is involved in the vandalism. The Epoch Times newspaper box appeared in a blockbuster movie. The CCP didn't feel good about this, so they sent people to graffiti our newspaper boxes. This is what they always do. This has happened many times. Every time we report on a major incident about the CCP, they vandalize our newspaper boxes. Doctor Strange has been submitted to the Chinese authorities for review, but chances of approval are now looking slim. Well, I think the idea of this movie getting into China is probably now non-existent. It's unknown if Marvel Studios will keep the Epoch Times newspaper box in the movie. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is hitting theaters this Friday and is expected to open up to $200 million at the box office. Don Ma, NTD News. 
President Biden will visit Asia this month. It will be his first trip there since becoming president. And an important stop on that trip will be meeting South Korea's next president, Yoon Suk-yeol. Yoon has taken a harder stance against North Korea, while the dictatorship steps up its threats of nuclear war. I spoke with Trump administration State Department ambassador and Liberty University School of Law Dean Morse Tan to learn more. Ambassador Tan, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be with you. President-elect Yoon Suk-yeol campaigned with a much harder line against North Korea, and he's already forging a stronger alliance with the U.S. than the outgoing administration. How might this new approach affect the U.S.'s influence in the region? I think it has the potential for strengthening the U.S. Um, presence, which is, frankly, the largest deterrent to North Korean aggression. And so if they have a willing uh, president as a partner, in that it would make a big difference, uh, especially as contrasted with the Moon administration. And so I welcome this new approach, and I think it will strengthen uh, the U.S. influence in the region. And how do you think the new leadership could impact U.S.-North Korea relations? I, I think that having a partner who's willing to have a strong stance, because North Korea operates on the basis of force, that whether they're um, destroying their own people or whether they are threatening um, people all over the world. They operate on the basis of force. It's the worst totalitarian dictatorship in the world, the most unjust place on planet Earth. And so that being the case, um, having someone who would stand uh, together potentially, and maybe, frankly, it might be the U.S. side that may be more in question, in regards to a willingness to have a robust approach with respect to North Korea, because that, frankly, uh, robust diplomacy is the only type of diplomacy that even has a chance uh, to move the needle uh, with respect to the uh, Democratic People's Republic of Korea, of which only Korea is true. So do you think the U.S. could change its strategy towards North Korea? Um, I, I think it could take a more proactive and a more uh, forceful, if you will, approach with respect to North Korea. You know, when that sort of approach was used previously, that had stopped the missile tests, that had uh, caused a return of the U.S. citizens who were being held captive, that brought home the remains of Korean War veterans. There were a number of different uh, positive results uh, that occurred. And so uh, I do think a more active, a more engaged, a more robust approach has a much better chance of succeeding. Ambassador Tan, thank you. Today, Secretary of State Antony Blinken recognized World Press Freedom Day at DC's Foreign Press Center. Blinken emphasized the importance of independent media as a democratic value. Free press is one of the most effective tools that we have for advancing human rights. Blinken first talked about journalists who died covering Ukraine, including Fox News journalist Benjamin Hall, who lost half of his leg, his other foot, and lost his vision in one of his eyes while covering the Russian invasion. Taiwanese reporter Stacy Su brought up Beijing's influence on Taiwanese media, such as pressuring companies not to advertise with those who criticize communist China. 
Blinken said that disinformation was part of the CCP's hybrid warfare. These are designed to basically distort the information environment and democratic processes. Um, so we've partnered with Taiwanese authorities on this, civil society organizations, to support uh, independent fact-based journalism. Blinken said that the goal is to build societal resilience to misinformation and foreign interference. A Trump-appointed federal judge ruled in favor of the January 6th committee. Judge Timothy Kelly rejected a challenge to its subpoena for fundraising emails by the Republican National Committee, or RNC. The judge said the RNC's claims must be dismissed because members of Congress can't be sued. Claims against Salesforce, a service provider used to send the emails, were also dismissed. According to a letter attached to the subpoena, the Trump campaign and the RNC jointly sent out hundreds of emails to supporters, with nearly every email suggesting that the election was fraudulent. The RNC argued that the subpoena infringed on their rights and claimed that the emails were not connected to the events of January 6th. Many are comparing the newly formed Disinformation Governance Board to the Ministry of Truth from the classic novel 1984. What could this, along with vaccine passports and a cashless society, do to our future? NTD's Jason Perry has the story. A digital gulag is a means of denying a person freedom, not by placing them in a physical prison, but by placing them in a digital prison. Reggie Littlejohn is founder and president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers. She spoke at a webinar titled Digital Gulag, Vaccine Passports, Disinformation, and a Cashless Society. She says if people do not resist now, a digital prison can easily be accomplished with vaccine passports, a cashless society, and the Disinformation Governance Board, which was formed days after Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. Since the power elites can no longer use Twitter to police free speech, are they now instituting this new Orwellian Ministry of Truth? Censorship of speech and the control of the flow of information are straight out of the Chinese Communist Party playbook. She said the disinformation board is the Chinese Communist Party's central propaganda department with American characteristics. She explained that anything that uses a digital QR code to show your vaccination status is a vaccine passport, and much of your information can be attached to it. So they can be used to, for, to attach facial recognition, gate recognition, real-time geolocation so that, that they, uh, they know always where you are, your social media posts, your internet search history, your internet spending history, and very importantly, your credit card and your bank accounts. She says one of the issues the government would be able to do in a cashless society is if they label you as a domestic terrorist, they can cut you off from being able to spend your money, or as she calls it, put you in a digital prison. We reached out to the Department of Homeland Security for comment, but did not hear back before airtime. Jason Perry, NTD News. Over the weekend, the Ukrainian military revealed that the mysterious Ukrainian war hero, the ghost of Kyiv, didn't die in combat, and in fact, never lived in the first place. NTD's Chenny Wu spoke with a historian on some of the impacts of this fictitious fighter pilot. The ghost of Kyiv was a military hero, an ace fighter pilot who allegedly took down six Russian warplanes in one day. The tales began just days into the war and circulated for months, bolstered by official Ukrainian accounts. 
But on Saturday, Ukrainian authorities admitted that the legendary pilot never existed. Spencer Jones serves as the regimental historian for the Royal Artillery. He says there's a reason why the ghost of Kyiv was readily accepted around the world. It speaks to a cultural myth, a cultural idea that is universal to humankind, the idea of the lone warrior, male or female, defending a nation against impossible odds. We can trace it in almost every culture. Jones says the idea of the lone hero appeared in almost every major war, giving examples such as the Red Baron of World War I and Colonel Tomb of the Vietnam War. He says these icons served as inspiration that individual soldiers could be capable of incredible heroism. And we see, I think, a similar idea with the ghost of Kyiv, that one Ukrainian fighter pilot is a match for 5, 10, 15 or more Russian fighter pilots. And so they can provide a really important morale boost, especially for armies or air forces that are fighting against the odds. Jones says that it's unclear whether the ghost was deliberately engineered by the Ukrainian government or if it was a folktale that grew in the telling. But that either way, Ukrainian authorities promoted the ghost as a real person. They certainly took the legend, they developed it into a form of propaganda, and they built it up. And that's, of course, probably how it will be remembered as a Ukrainian propaganda coup. And with it brings the question of whether other information reported by the Ukrainian government, such as military successes and Russian casualties, is reliable. In a Twitter post on Saturday, the Ukrainian Air Force said the ghost embodies the collective spirit of the pilots who are defending Kyiv and the region. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Up next, some small businesses and family-owned restaurants in New York have to get rid of their outdoor dining sheds, for which they paid thousands of dollars. That's because a main street is under construction. That and more after this short break. It's National Small Business Week, but some restaurant owners in New York City are probably not celebrating. A street in Manhattan known for its many restaurants and bars will be under construction. That means all the outdoor dining sheds have to go. NTD's Arian Pazdar has more from Hell's Kitchen. This is what's left of the outdoor dining sheds here in this area of Manhattan. Dozens of restaurants reportedly had to get rid of the sheds. And a structure like this one usually costs thousands of dollars. The owner of Kraft and Carry was just dismantling his shed when he told us he opened his establishment only three months ago. He paid $16,000 for the outdoor shed. And although it already has to go, he says he holds no hard feelings towards the city. It wasn't the easiest ask of them. They have a very difficult job coming and they, they did a very good job of contacting all the businesses. We were very human about it. Uh, we couldn't ask them to be any more polite or compassionate. Kashkaval Garden is also located on the street that will be under construction. Their outdoor shed used to stand right here. It cost them around $10,000 and almost doubled their capacity. So what could the city have done to make the situation easier for them? Postponing the construction, maybe until the fall, when uh, the weather isn't as nice and maybe we wouldn't even utilize that space as much. The mayor says he wants the outdoor sheds in the street to come back after the construction is finished. I'm a strong supporter in them remaining, and we're just telling those on 9th Avenue, hold on, they're coming back. We know it was a real boost for the economy. It helped our restaurants and kept them afloat. It's not exactly clear yet how long the construction will take. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. 
After two years of pandemic disruptions, the tradition of the Met Gala is back in full swing. The gala, held in New York City's Metropolitan Museum of Art, is considered fashion's biggest night of the year. NTD's Grace Coulter has the story. Attendees at this year's star-studded Met Gala were asked to dress in a style inspired by the Gilded Age at the end of the 19th century. This period saw skyrocketing wealth for industrialist U.S. families, and with that came over-the-top fashion among opulent New Yorkers. Let's take a look at some of the standout outfits. Blake Lively's gown paid tribute to New York's most iconic architecture, transforming from copper tones to the patina of the Statue of Liberty. Kim Kardashian wore Marilyn Monroe's iconic nude bedazzled gown. It was worn by Monroe when she sang Happy Birthday to President John F. Kennedy in 1962. Kardashian, who borrowed the gown from a museum, is the only person besides Monroe to ever wear the dress. And Mayor Eric Adams appeared to take a leaf out of fellow New Yorker AOC's book, donning a statement suit reading, End Gun Violence. And Elon Musk made his first public appearance since acquiring Twitter. He brought his supermodel mom, May Musk, as his plus one. All the money raised from the event goes towards the Costume Institute of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Grace Coulter, NTD News, New York. A lawsuit accusing CNN anchor Don Lemon of sexual assault has been dropped. This comes after his accuser retracted the allegations, claiming false recollections of the events. Dustin Heiss, who accused Lemon of assaulting him in a bar three years ago, released a statement Monday. He said, after a lot of inner reflection and a deep dive into my memory, I have come to realize that my recollection of the events that occurred on the night in question were not what I thought they were when I filed this lawsuit. In his 2019 suit, Heiss alleged that Lemon made unwanted advances towards him and performed actions that caused Heiss to suffer what he called trauma and humiliation. Lemon's attorney released a statement after Heiss retracted his allegations, saying the case was a crass money grab from its inception. Lemon always denied any wrongdoing. A group of state lawmakers and political candidates in Pennsylvania held a rally at the state capitol yesterday. They called it the Make Pennsylvania a Godly Again rally, and they are calling for a return to God and traditional values in politics. NTD's Allison Lee has more. It's about making Pennsylvania godly again. Organizers of the Make Pennsylvania Godly Again rally in Harrisburg on Monday say they want to bring back godly values and moral principles to our government. Jane Taylor Toll, the president of Citizens for Liberty, tells NTD that America was founded on the belief in God, but many in power have left God out of the equation when they make political decisions immorality and we need to implement God back into our government and we need to have godly people in legislation because if they're godly they cannot lead us they will just lead us into socialism and, and communism which we unfortunately are falling into slowly but surely now. Rick Saccone who spoke at the rally is running for lieutenant governor in Pennsylvania. He tells NTD that the loss of traditional values has led to many godless acts in America. He specifically names abortion and the closing of churches during the COVID-19 pandemic. These things, every policy they make in here, they make it void of God. And yet our Constitution, our Pennsylvania state Constitution was written 
invoking the guidance of God. It says the first, very first line is, we the people of the commonwealth of Pennsylvania, grateful to Almighty God for his blessings of civil and religious liberty, and humbly invoking his guidance to hereby ordain and establish this constitution. Saccone says lawmakers should invoke God's guidance before they write our laws, and that following traditional values makes us better citizens. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. The Republic of Angola is the second largest oil producer in Africa. For years, the country has been relying on other nations for oil refinement. Now, the Angolan government is trying to change that. The Republic of Angola is Africa's second largest oil producer. The country has been exporting its crude oil to China and importing expensive refined oil from Europe. Now the African nation is trying to break away from this dependence by working with global partners to install a new oil refining facility in the province of Cabinda. It's a very important project for, the, for our country in terms of uh, reducing our dependence on importing uh, the, the final products from, from crude. Sonangol EP is a state-owned oil company in Angola and a sponsor of the refinery project. The energy independence nowadays is important for every country and uh, this way we shall be able to not depend on the import of products anymore. V-Fuels is an oil engineering firm in Houston. The company just finished building and testing the Combinda oil refinery. It's an American-made modular refinery that allows Angola to process its raw or crude oil domestically. It's the largest crude oil modular refinery built to date. The London-based investment firm Gemcorp also sponsors the project. A representative tells us why they chose V-Fuels to build the facility. We generally see American technology as the best marriage between uh, energy security in Africa and uh, as a partnership. The project's executives say this project will also create more jobs in the region and improve Angola's economy. They say similar partnerships have been created in other African countries to further help with Africa's energy independence in the future. NTD News, Texas. Coming up, a recent poll shows California parents are concerned about learning loss from pandemic lockdowns. But at the same time, their opinions about what to do seem a little contradictory. And college grads are in for a shock. A new report shows the average starting salary is half of what they expect. More when we return here on NTD News. poll shows that California parents are worried about pandemic learning loss. But the results appear somewhat contradictory. NTD's Eileen Nang has the data. According to a poll conducted by the Public Policy Institute of California, more than 4 in 10 parents say their children have fallen behind academically during the pandemic. So now we hear we have, you know, nearly 6 in 10 saying things are heading the right direction, 4 in 10 saying that things are worse. Uh, in the system, as well as 8 and 10 saying that the quality is a problem. But at the same time, most adults approve of the way the governor handled K-12 education. About half of parents say teacher shortage is a big problem. Bonner noted that the results were a bit contradictory, so he did some digging. And so while we don't ask why, why people feel this way or that way, you can imagine that some folks might be more positive about the overall direction given the impact of the pandemic. 
The survey also found that the majority support ending the state school mask mandate, but also support requiring vaccines. Majorities of Democrats and independents um, are supportive of requiring these vaccines um, if they're approved by the FDA, while most Republicans are opposed to that. Um, however, as I previously discussed, uh, we do see agreement across partisan groups when it comes to masks um, and the state's decision to no longer require them in schools. In addition, Californians view preschools as important and back state funding for preschool programs. The findings are based on responses from about 1,600 California adult residents from March 30th to April 13th. In a matter of weeks, some college grads will be on their way to their first job in the real world. But will the salaries be what they expect? NTD's Phil Zoe has the story. How important is salary to a student straight out of college? It's an important factor that everyone should think about. The average starting salary has risen to over $50,000, a whopping 8% increase in the past five years alone. It was very important to look at how many people got jobs after they graduated from a certain school. College student Victor tells me even though demand is high, students still have to work hard to score that dream job. It's all about like, the experience that you have. Um, if you have internships, if you already have jobs, then it might be easier for you to get a more high-paying entry-level job. But one report says some students are expecting a six-digit salary when they graduate, which is nearly double the average starting salary. So I'm seeing salary increases of 20-30% to what they were a year ago in different roles. Jonathan Clues is the CEO of Student Bridge, a firm that connects students to nearly 300 universities. You need to look at the lifetime value versus just your out-of-college value, because out of college you don't have any experience and people want to pay for experience as well. Josephine Hadjilukis is studying marketing in college now. She's aiming high for a six-digit salary, but understands it's going to take years of hard work to get there, even after she graduates. I think it's because of social media. I think that you see very successful people that have achieved that, and you forget that there's so many years and so many failures that you have to get to that point. There's a shortage of outstanding workers, so it's a great time to be graduating from college. James Lewis is president of the National Society of High School Scholars, or NSHSS. He says there are many things besides salary that students look for. You know, they've been going through an educational system that has been online. They haven't had an opportunity to connect with their students and the faculty. So when they're thinking about a first-time position, they're looking for companies that will offer that in-person educational training experience. Lewis says there's also medical benefits, a flexible work schedule, and paid time off to consider. First, I'd like to congratulate all the students that you know, are transitioning from higher ed into the real world, and I want to wish them all the very, very best. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. Fourth-generation egg farmer Frank Hilliker fears bird flu may wipe out his entire flock of nearly 25,000 chickens. However, it's inflation that really keeps him up at night. Bird flu and inflation have Frank Hilliker worried about the future of his farm. The fourth-generation egg farmer says an outbreak of the deadly bird flu virus at his lakeside California farm could wipe out his entire flock of nearly 25,000 chickens. If I get the bird flu, it has an 80 to 90 percent mortality rate. So pretty much if we were to get it, we would have to depopulate all the birds. In the worst outbreak since 2015, 
Bird flu has wiped out more than 19 million egg-laying chickens on commercial U.S. farms this year, eliminating about 6% of the country's flock, according to Reuters' calculations of federal and state government data. And yet, Hilliker says the threat of bird flu is not his chief worry. Inflation is. Bird flu and the health of the birds don't keep me up at night because I know we do a good job. And if the bird flu happens, there's really not much you can do. It is what it is. You just got to accept it and move on. But what keeps me up at night is the inflation. All my costs, all my raising costs. At Hilliker's ranch, the cost of everything is up, way up. My feed is up over 100%. So I'm paying over double for what I was paying for a couple of years ago. Fuel's up 40%. Packaging is up, depending on the packaging, 25%. Labor, 10 to 15%. Those soaring costs have in turn hiked up the price of eggs. At the store on his farm, Hilliker says customers buy eggs at full retail price, but at grocery stores, consumers are being more cautious. Egg consumption has slowed down. Some of our biggest stores that would take two, three pallets of eggs a week, you figure there's 900 dozen on a pallet, are down to like just taking one pallet a week because they've gotten so high. So far, production hasn't slowed on the farm, with his chickens laying an average of 20,000 eggs per day. Assuming the birds stay healthy, it will be the farm's humans who will feel the heat, as Hilliker says that cutting back on labor will be his first move in fighting rising costs. Coming up, Russia firing rockets again at a steel factory in Mariupol, where officials say civilians are still trapped. Russia's top diplomat takes heat for some recent comments. And in the UK, a gym owner fined around $12,000 for keeping his business open during lockdown has his prosecution overturned. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. Russian forces are firing rockets at a steel plant again. Moscow says it's because Ukrainian soldiers took advantage of a ceasefire there to move into firing positions. Officials say about 200 civilians are still trapped in the factory, despite evacuations over the weekend. NTD's Jessica Beatty reports. Russian-backed forces started firing rockets toward the Azovstal steel plant in Mariupol again Monday after several dozen civilians were evacuated from the site. Ukraine's foreign minister warned that evacuations aren't over yet, and they're only for civilians, not Ukrainian soldiers. But everything is very fragile. Things can fall apart at any given moment, so it's better to wait until vacation is over. The Azovstal factory is the last stronghold of Ukrainian forces in Mariupol. Outside the factory, where the fighting has stopped, residents try to figure out what to do next. Many of them, like Tatiana Buslanova, have their houses destroyed or heavily damaged. I've got nowhere to go. I would have left with pleasure. If they provided me with a living place, I will leave today. But like this, where to go? Who waits for us anywhere? Mariupol's important to Russia's push to secure a land corridor to Crimea which Moscow annexed from Kyiv in 2014. Meanwhile, recent comments by Russia's foreign minister are sparking strong reactions. 
An Italian news channel asked Sergei Lavrov over the weekend about why Russia says it needs to denazify Ukraine if the country's own president, Volodymyr Zelensky, is Jewish. Lavrov responded, saying Nazi leader Adolf Hitler had Jewish origins. Zelensky said Moscow's forgotten or never learned the lessons of World War II. These words mean that Russia's top diplomat is blaming the Jewish people for Nazi crimes. No words. The highest-ranking Jewish elected official in the U.S., Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, also condemned Lavrov's comments. I have only one word for this. Sickening. Meanwhile, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she hopes Congress will move quickly on a bill for emergency aid in Ukraine. The sooner the better. Last week, President Biden requested $33 billion in emergency aid for Ukraine. Lawmakers from both parties said they wanted to approve it quickly, but party differences could stall it in Congress. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. A new report says freedom of the press in Russia has deteriorated since the Ukraine invasion. The World Press Freedom Index, launched today, ranks press freedoms by country and also highlights Hong Kong as a place where media freedoms have plummeted. NTD's Jane Werrell brings us this report. This year's World Press Freedom Index says freedom of the media in Hong Kong has plummeted. With independent news outlets like Apple Daily and Sand News being forced to close, some readers feel they have nowhere to go. Without the three major independent media that have been shut down, there's a loss of, huge loss of interest in the news itself um, because they usually go to these platforms to read the daily digest of, of the news. You can read from politics, econ economy to, to entertainment and all that in, on one platform or they like whatever, whatever platform they like. But now they don't have that choice. A UK-based journalist from independent Russian newspaper Novaya Gazeta expressed how it's challenging to follow what's going on in her native country. The newspaper suspended its operations in Russia since the Ukraine invasion. If to speak what I felt, uh, uh, it's uh, shame, fear, responsibility, um, desperation. Ukraine has gone down in the ranking. Reporters Without Borders says this is because Russian forces are targeting journalists. Among those targeted recently was Stuart Ramsey, the longest-serving foreign correspondent for Sky News. You saw rarely what it's like when an ambush takes place from the inside. Um, <clears throat> the miracle part of it is that all of us got out of the, out of the vehicle because talking to friends in the military, the... the this was a proper drill, this is a proper ambush drill. The, the, the concept that five people would get out is almost unheard of. Probably, you probably could never replicate it again. The attacks of, on ordinary members of the public, civilians fleeing, refugees basically, has been a continuous thing that's happened in this war. What we have seen what we saw for the first time because Richie Mock and my camera and filmed it all was actually being inside a car that's being attacked. That's what I meant. Not from reporting the events of something, but actually we hadn't seen it. And that's why for a lot of people I think it was very shocking. Um, for a lot of my colleagues, my family, for everyone that you can think of, it was shocking because you don't usually see it. So the attack wasn't exceptional. What was exceptional was the filming of it. This year, the index finds press freedom very bad in a record 28 countries. The 10 worst countries include Myanmar, China, Eritrea and North Korea at 180th. 
China has always had um, a poor record when it comes to what I would describe as independent journalism. It, 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 there isn't really. It's a, it's a communist country that w hasn't changed at all. Uh, what makes it different to uh, perhaps Russia, it's an unabashed position. It has never changed from that position. Russia had changed fundamentally under Glasnost, but now it's gone back for a variety of reasons to being like it was just before I started working in Russia a very long time ago now. As for the top spots, the report lists Nordic countries, Norway, Denmark and Sweden. The UK ranks 24th, just above Trinidad and Tobago and below Namibia. Jane Worrell, NTD News, London. The US ranked 42 this year in the World Press Freedom Index. Canada, 19. And during England's second nationwide COVID lockdown, some gym owners were issued with a $12,000 fine for keeping their businesses open despite restrictions. Now a gym boss has successfully overturned the prosecution and says the whole process was a waste of time and money. NTD's Joy Duguid has more. A gym owner said the court case against him was a waste of time. He and more than 20 people overturned a prosecution for a gym-related COVID breach. Alex Lowndes refused to close his gains, fitness and strength in Bedford in November 2020, when England entered a second nationwide lockdown and indoor gyms were forced to close. Police raided his gym and he was charged with a breach of lockdown regulations, facing a £10,000 fine. But Lowndes denied any wrongdoing. Data supports our decision. The data and the science supports our decision. The gyms are not the problem. Uh, as I've said time and time again, we're in a health pandemic, and I believe that we should be putting the health of the, of the nation uh, as top priority. Lowndes was due to stand trial in March, but Bedford Borough Council failed to gather enough evidence. The council's request for an adjournment was refused by magistrates and the case collapsed. Lowndes said the council wasted six months on his case and kept spending money and even brought in an external barrister. A criminal defence lawyer told the BBC that she had successfully represented more than 20 similar cases. She said in most cases a fixed penalty notice was issued when there was an exception or reasonable excuse argument. Joy Duguid, NTD News. Now for sports, here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. First up, ESPN is reporting that the U.S. government now considers WNBA star Brittany Griner to be wrongfully detained in Russia. The change in designation means that the government is not going to wait for her case to be heard before negotiating her return. Her case has been met with renewed optimism since last week's news of the release of former U.S. Marine Trevor Reed. Griner was reportedly detained at a Russian airport in February after Russian authorities said they found vape cartridges containing cannabis oil in her luggage. Griner was eventually granted access to U.S. consulate personnel, though she has not been formally charged. The 31-year-old is scheduled to have a hearing on May 19. Moving to football. The NFL announced Monday that it found no evidence the Cleveland Browns lost games or provided incentives to personnel to do so, as former head coach Hugh Jackson had alleged in February. The league had former U.S. Attorney and SEC Chair Mary Jo White lead the investigation. Jackson had a 3-36-1 record from 2016 to 2018 with the Browns. 
Back in February, after former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores said he was offered $100,000 per loss from ownership in 2019, Jackson said he got a similar offer in Cleveland. Jackson tweeted that owner Jimmy Haslam was happy while we kept losing. He then replied to another user's comment that said it couldn't have been $100,000 with trust me, it was a good number. Jackson later walked back those comments in an interview with CNN, saying he was never offered money, but stood by his claim that ownership wanted to lose. Jackson told ESPN that during his first two seasons as coach, bonus money was available if certain criteria were met, like being the youngest team and having so many draft picks. According to the NFL, Jackson initially agreed to meet with investigators before deciding against it. The Browns have denied the allegations from the start. Round two of the NBA playoffs continues tonight with a pair of game twos. First in Boston, the Celtics will try to slow down two-time MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo, who posted a triple-double in Milwaukee's Game 1 win. The defending champion Bucks are expected to be without Chris Middleton for at least two more games as he recovers from a sprained MCL. Meanwhile, Boston put up an astounding 53-point attempt and hit 18 of them in the Game 1 loss. The Golden State Warriors will try to take a 2-0 lead tonight in Memphis as they battle the Grizzlies. The Warriors will get Draymond Green back after the star forward missed half of the opener after being ejected for a hard foul. Golden State once again benefited from a hot shooting Jordan Poole who scored 31 points. Memphis's Desmond Bain, who's been one of their best outside shooters this postseason, is listed as questionable with a sore back. That's all for your sports. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And coming up, one of the most significant artworks in American history is up for grabs. Christie's will auction it off soon. We take a sneak peek. And some good news for cyclists. A Czech company is making bike seats tailored to suit each rider's unique requirements so you can say goodbye to saddle sores. Find out more after this short break. One of the most significant artworks in American history is coming up for auction. Christie's thinks it's going to sell for up to $20 million. NTD's Evelyn Lee got a sneak peek before the auction. Renoir, Monet, or Picasso, these are just a fraction of the artworks that will be auctioned off here soon. But we're here for one very specific painting that you will recognize right away. One painting at Christie's is making headlines. That's right, Emmanuel Leutze's Washington Crossing the Delaware is coming up for auction at Christie's. This painting depicts a key moment in the American Revolutionary War. Paige Kestenman, an American art specialist at Christie's, says at this point in the Revolutionary War, the Americans were behind in the battle. But that changed when George Washington led his troops across the Delaware River. In the 1970s, this painting was sold for $260,000. At that time, it was a record for any American painting. Today, it's easily worth 60 times that. How did you get to this current estimate of 15 to 20 million dollars? This work since then has hung in the White House for several decades and has only become more iconic as additional 20th century artists have reinterpreted the image over and over again. She says this is possibly the most important work of pre-war American art to ever come to the market. A much larger example is currently the centerpiece of the American wing in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. 
This work that we have here was meant to spread the image that was painted by Loitza worldwide through the engraving. That was the purpose of creating this painting. So it was really meant to exactly mimic what was in the large scale version. Kestenman says that Loitze was the first to depict Washington as a man of action. He has binoculars in one hand and he has a sword on his hip, so he is ready to both lead his men and be an active soldier. Besides this painting, artworks by Van Gogh, Pollock and Monet will also be up for auction at Christie's 20th Century Evening Sale. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. A Czech company is using the latest technology to create bike seats tailored to suit each rider's unique requirements, hoping to make saddle sores a thing of the past. NTD's Eddie Aitken has more. Cycling is now a massive sport, and not just at Olympic level. With fuel prices rocketing, many more people could be looking at taking their bikes on short journeys instead of cars. Here in Prague in the Czech Republic, a company called Posedla is testing out a bespoke saddle they call the joy seat. By recording the pressure points of individual cyclists, they hope to make saddle sores a thing of the past. We started this project because uh, we just couldn't find the right uh, cycling equipment for us. And by cycling equipment, I mean a bicycle saddle. Um, we were looking for something that fits us individually. Here in their studio, they demonstrate the process. They send the customer a special type of memory foam in the mail. The customer sits on it, leaving an impression behind in the foam. The customer then takes pictures of the depressions from nine different angles. From the pictures, the customer's bespoke seat is 3D printed and sent to them directly. In the workshop, the cyclist is trying out his own bespoke saddle. Yeah, it's my first time on the saddle, so uh, I don't know yet, but I feel really, really good. And does it feel any different to a standard saddle? Uh, yeah, it's a really, really different. I feel more comfortable right now. Posedla aimed to bring the 399 Euro joy seat to market by the middle of May. They're already taking pre-sale orders within the European Union, and they hope to ramp up production over the summer cycling season. There are no trials showing the effectiveness of the saddle at reducing stress points and sores, but they say they have consulted doctors for advice on anatomy. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.